Hello and welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. Today we are here recording episode number 92, and we have a very special guest on with us today. And this episode is just for you. If you enjoy the blues, you want to get some information about the blues and blues in Prague, and also uh, talk about um, the expat life with someone who has a lot of experience as a performer and educator here in Prague. But before we get to that, first, my good buddy Jared. What's going on, Jared? Hello. You know it's a special occasion because we have two blazers this time. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but first, please, everyone, spread a little love and follow us on Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast, Twitter, Untranslatable One. You can email us, untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, spread a little love. Give us five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> exactly. And as I mentioned, we have a very special guest on with us today, and we are elated and so excited to have with mm-hmm. us the amazing performer, educator, and all-around fantastic blues woman, Joanna Jenkins. How are you, Joanna? Hello. Very happy to be here. Glad to have you. Yes. Uh, I wanted to start by explaining how we met each other. So I was at piano lessons, and I told my piano teacher I was going to be going on vacation to Berlin and Prague, and she freaked out. She's like, oh my gosh, Prague? She's like, oh my gosh, uh, you, uh, my my old uh, voice uh, student from long ago lives in Prague. Uh, give her this gift. And she ran around her house looking for a gift, wrapped it, and I had to travel across, uh, across the country or across the ocean with this gift and find you. And um, there's a little part of me that's like, I can't bring this gift back i have to do it <laughs> so uh, and i was thinking i have to meet this person <laughs> because he's carrying something for me this is important we have to make this happen yes could you um tell us about your uh experience with miss Jurger, renee as i call her but uh <laughs> yes exactly you call her renee but i call yes. her mrs Jurger because i had her as my music teacher in elementary school so yes. if i remember correctly maybe she was my i know she was my music teacher from fourth grade maybe third grade because that's when we started recorder fourth grade mm. is when we started with the band so i was doing uh clarinet and so she was my music teacher probably from third until eighth grade when I left Faith Christian School. So that's how far we go back. So she will always be Mrs. Jurger to me. <laughs> <laughs> when did you guys uh, reconnect? We connected, of course, via Facebook. Mm-hmm. So there was a group of students from the school who were on this chat, and she became friends with them. And then she reached out to me. And she's always been a very sweet, warm, caring person. And so we sent a couple of uh, messages back and forth via Facebook. And then suddenly I got your message. Mm -hmm. And it was such a surprise. And you roll with a pretty tight crew. So I said, oh, my goodness. (laughs) We try. I always got my homies with me. (laughs) That's right. Rolling through Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I... um, you know, I gave her the uh, the CD that you that you sent back with me, and I also uh, framed that picture of you and I that we took on the subway and and gave it uh, to her. I gave those together, and she has brought up that picture probably for every piano lesson since I've got back. <laughs> <laughs> A plus gift, Jerry. <laughs> She always talks about how whenever someone comes over, she always uh, brings it up, and it's prominently placed in her living room. I see it every time I walk in there. So her she two she students. loves it. That's so beautiful for me because 
normally you meet and then the story is over, but our story mm -hmm. appears to just be beginning. And so yes. that's the beauty of it. And that's the power of educators mm -hmm. that that impact stays with someone for a lifetime. And when we first met, I told you the story that I was working through the book, The Artist's Way, which had been recommended to me by my mentor and producer, Steve Walsh. And one of the activities was to write about not only some things that discourage you as a child, that inhibited your path as an artist and the things that freed you and mm -hmm. her encouragement and her support and what she told me back in elementary school stayed with me that I had just written in my journal activity about what she had said, her spirit, her kindness. And then a week later, hi, <laughs> would you like to meet? I have a gift from her. So that is a very special beginning and continuation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just uh, have to say how excited I was when Jared said, yeah, my piano teacher knows this uh, blues artist in Prague and we need to meet with her to pass along this gift. And so, you know, I've been a blues nerd since I was probably 10 years old. And so when Jared gave that, that news to me, that was really the only plan we had when Jared came to visit <laughs> to Prague. And what's, yeah. so, what's hilarious is that she's an educator who told her music student to meet her former music student to give a mm -hmm. gift. But now I know you, and now I know you, so I have more than just the physical gift, I have the gift of our connection. Absolutely. And yeah. our friendship. And so that's, it's the gift that keeps giving. And Chad Absolutely. also comes up a lot in my piano lessons because uh, we sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, al we, we always uh. talk about one, the connection between learning a language and learning an instrument. And then Chad also always likes to challenge me musically. We've been jamming together recently. And um, he, he forces me to bring our, I, we record them, so he forces me to bring them to my piano lesson and play them for my piano teacher. And she'll give me notes and Chad will, and Chad will give me the same notes. And so yeah. he is yep. often coming up in my <laughs> piano lesson too. So now we have a whole little musical family going on here. Right. <laughs> Chad said the same thing. I'll tell Chad. <laughs> I'm always curious to hear what, you know, uh, his teacher has to say because, you know, she's been a music teacher for a long time. So yeah. obviously she has much more musical experience than I do. And so when he told me, yeah, what, what you told Jared was spot on, I was, I was pretty flattered. I'm not going to lie. It was fun. <laughs> he had that same big smile on his face. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Uh, but you and Chad have another connection. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. you started your, uh, your career as a Fulbright student in South Korea. That's right. So yeah. I saw it on his laptop when he took it out. I have the and sticker, yeah. Did you start your life abroad with the Fulbright this year? Well, this, this year, yes. But the way Jared and I really became great friends was during our time in Vienna, Austria together. Exactly. But yeah, this is my first year with full-time work, full-time living abroad, earning money here. And it's been quite the experience. We do have another similarity because I started my life abroad first when I was in eighth grade. My family would go skiing and we would go for the Thanksgiving holiday up to Mount Sinai, Quebec. Okay. And I had mm. studied French in high school from ninth grade on. And then I decided to continue with it all the way through university. I did my... Um, I'm now thinking in French. Uh, I did my minor okay. in French. And oh, very nice. Yeah, and then my last summer, my junior year, I studied in Todi. I studied in Todi, uh -huh. Italy. So okay. you nice. were in Vienna, I was in Italy, and my first work abroad for a year was the Fulbright in Seoul, South Korea. So yeah, very similar. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Did, when you um, were in Seoul, did you try to find a blues scene there or did you? Per, were you performing back then? Honestly speaking, the blues scene found me. I oh. did not go seeking blues because I actually did my minor in French, women's studies and theater. So I was very much in theater and I only sang in church, really. I sang in church or I sang as a part of musical theater. Mm-hmm. So what I did was in Seoul was to do community theater. And so I moved here and I did one show in community theater. And then someone asked me to be in a band and I thought, oh, sure, I'll be a a backup woman and it'll be fun. And then somebody said, would you like to be a front woman for this band? Very cool. You need a microphone. And so when I went to buy the microphone, the guy who owned the store said, I saw you at a blues concert. Are you a singer? And I said, yes. Uh He said, would you sing for my band and be a front woman? And that was when I first met the blues uh, officially in 2000. It was, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's 20 years this year. So it's 1999. Oh, wow. 1999 was when I was asked to front Tony's Blues Band. And so that's how it started. So, and so that's you never when I really, started singing the blues. You, you never really considered it as a, as an option before that. It was it just kind of fell into your lap. It really did. And my thing, I had been more into soul, but I hadn't heard any soul music on this scene coming from gospel that mm-hmm. was just closer to me. But mm-hmm. when I was asked to do this music and I had to learn the music and learn the band's repertoire, that's when I started feeling the connection between the gospel that I grew up on and the blues music that I was being Mm -hmm. asked to sing and the familiarity that I didn't know was there, but I had to connect those two things for me to be able to do it. Right. When did did you start uh, writing your own music? I even started it back in 1999 because the band that I was asked to perform with, the one that sent me to the music store, the Double Deckers, they needed more music for their repertoire. And they said, we need music. If you want to sing, you're going to have to write songs. And I thought, I just want to get up and sing. I don't (laughs) want to write songs, too. But then when it was time for me to do my first album in 2010, it was going to be 10 songs after celebrating 10 years of working with Tony's Blues Band. Oh, cool. We did 10 after 10. And so some of the songs I wrote the lyrics for. So that's how I got into writing songs. And then when I did my next album in 2012, there was for The Blues Keeps You Alive, it was... All right, Joanna, now would you please bring ideas with not just the lyrics, but also the music. And so that's how I developed musically. To mm-hmm. And the joy about it is, and the reason why I made my real transition from the theater to music was, if I'm acting, I'm telling someone else's story. But right. if I'm singing, I can be writing and living mm-hmm. and singing my own. Mm-hmm. And I could give myself a voice. But I also discovered that by giving voice to my experience, I was also connecting with other people's experience. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's so great about blues music and music in general is just the relatability aspect yeah. of it. Um, and we'll talk more about that later um, with our song of the pod as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah. And what what were some of the difficulties for you, you know, going from being a being a front woman mm-hmm. And, you know, at first, I guess, you know, you don't really have to write the lyrics or come up with the music and then, you know, creating an entire album where you have so much more input lyrically, musically. What was that like for you? 
It was actually a really great challenge because here in the Czech Republic, there's a real concept of what the blues is. And so people have this concept that it's a certain 12-bar form and I know what to expect. It's nothing interesting. And Charlie Slavik is a harmonica player who helped me to discover my own voice. He was asked to be the program director for many different events around town. And we played in these events with just musicians that we could get together. And as a result, uh, artistic director of the Schumburg Blues Alive Music Festival said, why don't you put a band around her for my event and we'll have her perform there. And the result was we really had the mission and the goal to show people what blues could be beyond the stereotype. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very set mission. I had a very set vision. And Charlie was a wonderful partner where he would say, they're not playing this type of blues on this market. Put that in there. Oh, and, cool. And he was the one who said, the groove for the blues keeps you alive. Nobody's doing that. We should create a song based on this type of groove. Oh, cool. And so my process was less just for me to just listen to that type of groove over and over and over and mm -hmm. over and to think, for example, all right, I want two original songs to perform at this Blues Alive music festival, Blues Alive, Blues Alive, Blues Alive. Okay, how has the blues kept me alive? And to think about that and go, okay, I was washing dishes. And so that's the reason why in the lyrics in the song are, uh, yeah, it's uh, out the door of the window, a glass of you I'm going to throw. Because uh -huh. something else has mm. got to break than my poor heart from this old ache. I was uh -huh. hearing the groove over again, right. thinking how the blues kept you alive, kept me mm. alive, washing dishes and okay. nice. got to run to the computer. It's <laughs> <laughs> really it cool. It seems so intimidating to just have to, like having never, you know, before 1999 or 2000, having never written your own lyrics before, just to be like, oh, I guess if I want to do this, I have to write my own stuff. What what made you so confident that you could? Because I feel like I'd just be like, I've never written a song before. I don't even know where to begin. Well, the first thing is, is that in 99, when I had to do it, I did not like it at all because it was my first experience. And then mm -hmm. you fast forward to 2010. I had been singing standards for you know, 10 years, 11 years by then, I was not only doing the blues music, but I was also doing covers. So I had this, this well of information about what I liked in a song, sure. what resonated with me, what felt good. And then out of all that music, we specifically said we wanted to do a certain type of blues music. And so we collaborated, it was Charlie Slavic and Joanna Jenkins, and it was a great filtering process to have the parameters it has to be music that we both like mm -hmm. and we decided that we like music that's more ray charles inspired oh, cool. that type of sound yeah. and i figured out out of all the blues music at that point in my life i really like the music of willie dixon i really uh -huh. like the double entendre keep it simple let people feel the groove and have a good time that's what i determined in mm -hmm. 2010 so that from those two songs for the October, the Blues uh, keep uh, the blues Alive Festival, then there were just 
How many songs do we have? We have a total of 12 songs. So then that means there were just 10 more songs. And so only one was a cover and that was done in a different way. So that means three plus uh, minus 12 is nine more songs. So Mm -hmm. what are the different types of blues, nine different types of blues that if I were never going to do another album again, what would I want to do? Oh, cool. And that gives me... It just whittles the field down. If I would never do something again, what do I have to do? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I figure it out. That's a really interesting concept in terms of the writing process. Um, it's kind of like the the cliche that so many people say, you know, you only have one more day to live, you know, live life <laughs> to the fullest. But that's really cool. Um, and so, you know, some of our listeners out there are not blues aficionados um, like, you know, we might be. So could you give us some context on some of the different styles of blues mm. and, and things like that. Cause yeah. it's, you're right. Blues is much more than just a, just a shuffle, a 12 bar mm. blues, you know, mm. there's so much more to it. Yeah. So traditionally on this market, so we've got American blues where it originated and we were having this conversation about how I was actually doing research for something and it was saying that the roots of blues go back all the way to 1900s and particularly on this market, many people confuse blues with jazz, uh-huh. but the blues actually came first and jazz sprung out of the blues. And so you've got the music of the 1900s all the way to the 1920s, 30s. And what you had originally were the queens of the blues coming out with people like Mamie Smith, Bessie Smith. Mm -hmm. And then somehow there was the vaudeville tradition. And then it was down in the South. And what's really fascinating is that there was a time where it was just popular music. And so Etta James said that she grew up wanting to be a country singer because there was a time where blues and country music all were the same because it was all from down south. We talked about that a long Mm -hmm. time ago in one of our episodes. You're absolutely right. So, and then there was the Great Migration. And then next thing you know, you have it moving up north to places like Chicago. Mm -hmm. And with that migration, there being a different sound, very similar to language, how Mm -hmm. the English that we speak in the United States is not the same as in Australia or Canada or the UK. Not even close. Because of migration and what Mm -hmm. happens in the influences. So you have from the Delta region where it started all the way up to Chicago, you have jump blues, West Coast uh, swing, you've got the Texas uh, version with the Texas shuffle. So the blues is typically according to the location and the type of groove. And then after it became very popular, there of course was a decline. It influenced rock and roll and then rock and roll was the next big thing. It was Mm -hmm. the pop of its time. And then it migrated and continued. The origins of blues, which became a soul, that continued and then it migrated and became R&B. And there was a decline in the blues music. But then the people on the other side of the pond were discovering it. And that's where the people who were the stars and the legends of the American blues scene were being invited to Europe. Mm -hmm. They were invited to tour. What was unpopular in the United States was rediscovered and embraced and influenced. And now you have things in the UK scene where you have the British blues scene. And it's got more of a hardcore rock backbeat. And that's what's really influenced the Czech blues scene. Interesting. (laughs) So you've got a lot of British influence here. They actually have what they call big beat in terms of how they interpret, once again, by geographical distance. They're being a 
a mutation in the music. So the Czech blues scene is very different than the uh, UK blues scene, which is very close. And being a member of the European Blues Union, hearing how the blues has changed from something from the Delta region to something that has created a worldwide explosion where there is now such a thing as a European Blues Union. And I had the honor to see that music performed by 22 different bands representing 22 different countries. Hmm. What are uh, what are some of your favorite areas or scenes to uh, perform in? Because you've performed all around Europe, haven't you? I have had a, a great opportunity to be based here in Prague and get the opportunity to be invited to places like Poland, Latvia, Holland, Germany. I'm headed to Portugal mm -hmm. uh, on the 17th of May to perform at the Porto Blues Festival. I've had the joy of performing in Italy and still more places. So in terms of scene, I think festivals are a great place to be because you've got club gigs where people are coming probably just to see you because you mm -hmm. are the headliner, the only person on the bill. And so that creates that expectation. People know the music, know you, and they are coming for you. Right. A festival, for example, Suvalki Blues Festival, which I played probably back in 2011, that's the largest outdoor festival in Poland. That was a wonderful scene that just closed off this huge mall, and then you've got this huge stage of people who are coming to see the blues. Schumburg Blues uh, Festival is a top premier regional festival that's top rated by the readers of Toy Blues, the Polish blues magazine. Uh, and ahead of the International Blues Challenge, which happens every year in Memphis, that's the big event for readers in this region. Um, there's also the Baltic Blues Festival out in Germany, Euten. So a lot of great places. And then, of course, there's the uh, Mario Fiume a blues passion in Tropea, Italy. So a lot of great festivals with great musicians and more importantly, great organizers who are really committed to the music. They've won awards from the International Blues Ch Festival, the International Blues uh, Found Federation for keeping the blues alive, keeping the music wow. yeah. current. So lots I, of great places. I did, had no idea the blues scene was so strong in Europe uh, at, like, like that at all. I yeah. need to pay more attention. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Juana, what is, um, or what are some of your favorite venues to perform at? If you could pick a couple, which ones are your favorite and why? Oh, my goodness. My favorite venues, well, in Prague, it's hands down Jazz Doc. That's the first and foremost in terms of home clubs. And they've just got an amazing dramaturg. Jakub Zitko does an amazing job getting the best touring artists coming through there. And then the thing is, is because I tour, I'm at different venues for a night and then I'm out and I'm going to someplace else. So... It's I primarily if I'm not in Prague, I'm playing a festival. So mm. that's the reason why I refer to festivals more than venues. Okay, uh, your Czech is very good. We've we've heard you speak a little Czech. Uh, have you ever considered incorporating that into your music in any way? I am really committed to doing the best that I can do, and so when I think about what I can offer that's unique, what my mm -hmm. unique proposition is, what my 
strength is. I'm going to be offering for my strength. Right. And so I'm an African-American woman who has been raised on gospel, who loves soul, who's come into the blues tradition from that experience, from that heritage. So that's what I sing from. And also the rhythm of the Czech language is very different than the phrasing in English. So mm. that I I speak naturally English. And so that authenticity that is mine is what I want to give to the world. Right. And so a, I'll yeah, I'll do an intro I'll do an interview in Czech and I'll if someone has a Czech song and they ask me to sing it, for example, I performed there was a very popular Czech country artist and they every year they have a a tribute to him. And so I sang a song that he wrote, but it was a very country sounding song which had some bluesy sounding things so I could relate to it and the story was something that resonated with me and the story was the name of the song is Ashpride Tenden and it's until that day comes and the the final message of the story is until that day comes that I'm no longer able to ABC XYZ I will sing and oh, so cool. I thought that, that I can that I, I will learn the check uh -huh. that I can sing from my heart because that resonates with me. Did that happen to be by Michal Tushka? Uh, yeah. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. I'm, tr yeah, I'm trying Tuchni. to get my feet wet in. Yeah, uh, yeah Tuchni. That's yeah. it. Trying to get my feet wet in the, the Czech music scene here. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's a right. big well, name for sure. For you. Big, you big come, name. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, what kind of uh, uh, ahead, I have a question for you, Chad? What kind of venues have you been to? Like uh, blues, blues things have you seen in, in here, Prague? here in Prague? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I've I've seen more jazz here than blues. Although I okay. think it's safe to say that's a close cousin to the blues. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite place is probably Umalejo Glena oh, because that's... it's very small. Yeah. It's actually where I met uh, your producer. Oh, uh, you yeah, That's right. We talked. Steve yeah. Walsh and uh, was one of the best concerts I've seen since mm -hmm. I've been here. Um, fabulous guitar player we also featured him on our podcast a while ago as a song song of the pod lovely we did um i think it was a funky knedliki oh funky dumplings so that was a that was a good one <laughs> and um so yeah and the the thing i love about the scene here in prague is as you can see the artists here are so friendly and approachable you know it's mm -hmm. not like other scenes where you know i've heard about other you know in the states or in berlin where you know, the, the artists might perform and then they'll just try to leave, right? Whereas after I saw Steve uh, play live, you know, I sat down and, you know, had a beer with him and we were talking mm -hmm. and it was really great. Um, but uh, Jazz Doc is another fantastic one as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a huge, because I don't live here in Prague, right. you know, it's difficult for me to, all the concerts I like are usually on like a, I don't know, like a Tuesday evening or something. And <laughs> Tuesdays, blues days. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. it's a little tricky, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But if we're talking about venues that exist in Prague, you know, Jazz Talk is where I love to play. A lot of my friends play at Umaleja Glena. They also play at Ungelt, which is billed as a jazz blues club. Then there's also Blues Sklep. So I'm trying to think if I hit all of the primary blues. And then there is Teen... Uh, what is the name of the... Ungelt, if I have... Yeah, you mentioned, yeah, mentioned that one. Yeah, yeah. All right, mm -hmm. then. Yeah, so that's it. That's the primary... Malastranska Besseta might have some. That's actually where I went to see Tony's Blues Band back in 1999, and he recognized me from there. And so that's a nicely sized venue to get into. 
And then, for example, bigger names like Beth Hart. When Beth Hart was in town, she played at Forum Carlene. Mm -hmm. So it really, and then Buddy Guy, you saw at Lucerne. Yep. Was it large or music bar? It was the large. Yeah. Yeah, the large absolutely. room, the large saw. Right, right, the, the large hall. hall. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh -huh. So the great thing about it is that the blues is available wherever, depending on the size of the audience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It seems like the Czech people really vibe on the blues because when I saw Buddy Guy, it was mm -hmm. packed. There is a history that my friends have explained to me. For example, Charlie will come over with this new gramophone that he's got, excuse me, um, <laughs> record that he's got for his gramophone. And he'll say, ooh, you don't understand. I would listen to the radio as a child, and the only American music that was allowed was blues music because it was the music of the proletariat, the music of the mm. people, uh -huh. the Interesting. disenfranchised yeah. masses of the capitalist society. So we were, it was okay <laughs> to listen to that music. And so, exactly. So that's the connection. And so, you know, rock was too subversive. Jazz was fine as well, because once again, it was the music of the disenfranchised. So mm. that and that concept that that music is okay. Does he consider himself part of the disenfranchised? I mean, it sounds like he does, but... <laughs> Well, <laughs> he definitely resonates very deeply with a hardworking man mm -hmm. who is out putting in a hard day's work longer and harder than he wants to fulfill the responsibilities that he has. So, for example, Yeah, Daddy, that song was really influenced by his experience. He is a harmonica player who has three kids providing for his family and the lyrics come from my experience with my father. The story is he had spoken not too long ago with my youngest sister, so he asked me the question, was I there for you? And I had to think about it because there were times when I wanted him to be there, but because of work commitments, he could not be. And I, after a pause, said, yeah, daddy, you were. And there's this music which is called, let's say, a blues stride, and I was trying to direct the band to play it a certain way. And Charlie, who like my father has three kids said, if you're talking about a working man's struggle, you need to make it heavier, you need to make it harder and don't go light. And I just had to back up and say, you know what my father went through better than I do. I respect your musical direction. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That's really awesome. And it's good to have someone you can collaborate with on yeah. that level. Yeah. Um, and what has it been like for you as someone who, you know, is a band leader, also obviously yeah. a clear collaborator with Charlie? Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, I played in a, in a trio way back in the day in high school, and uh, I kind of shared the band leader duties with the drummer because he was actually our vocalist as well. Um, but for me, it was, I was never really the, the one, even though I was a guitar player, I wasn't really the one up front like you are as a mm -hmm. lead vocalist yeah. and the band leader. What is that like? There's two parts to it. There is before we go on stage and once we get on stage. So there was a time where I had only been a lead singer. I wasn't writing. I was just performing covers. And then Charlie and I started to work together. We did this album and there was original music. And I started to get my musical opinions. And so I started becoming more vocal. But I was not a trained musician. I hadn't studied music or music theory. And 
as we well know, you can learn a language and music is a language. Mm-hmm. And I felt inarticulate to be able to communicate my concepts. So I would lean very heavily on Charlie to be able to explain to the band what I wanted and needed. But then after that got clear, and I would also rely on him that when we're on the stage, I take care of front of house. I make sure that the audience is having a good time. If you just handle the back, the band in the back so that all that communication and that interaction is being handled so I can just focus on doing a show. And we really created a great partnership in that Mm -hmm. regard. And then I wanted to move in a a different direction. We worked together on the one album. I was looking to do more soul-oriented things. And so that's when I said, I think I understand how this band thing goes. I'll start taking more responsibility for what happens not only before stage, but also on stage. But the truth is, is that when they're musicians, they're always playing together. If I, if there is an instrumental, I just dance. (laughs) (laughs) But when there's an instrumental, he's still playing harmonica, they're still drumming and playing. Mm -hmm. So there always needs to be a tightness. And uh, I think of it like tossing a ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody's got the ball. Hey, heads up, I'm about to send it to you. Now, oops, you got it. Okay, hey, it's safe. Now I can go back and doing. So there's always a certain interaction that they as musicians have that I'm not a part of. But we're just like, okay, now solo over. I got it. Now it's my ball again. And now let's give it back to the audience. Right. Yeah. And having a tight rhythm section is so important if you want to have, you know, a good live performance and everything. It is. There are no words to express (laughs) how important a rhythm section is. And then the thing about it is, is because there are different types of blues. And because my musical tradition is steeped in the church and gospel and soul, my sense of timing has been influenced by that, which is very different than somebody who grew up on rock or hard rock and then says, oh, I want to play blues because it sounds so much simpler. Our concepts of time are very, very mm-hmm. different. So for me to find a local band, whether it's the Czech band that I have now, or when I go to Latvia and I play with a, the local band there, or when I go to Portugal, I've sent them all the music and then we'll go in for rehearsal and then I'll perform the next day. It is everything about the rhythm section because... The rhythm section, the band literally has my back. If they hold the right groove, perfect example. When we brought in, I not only collaborate with Steve Walsh, but also besides Charlie Slavic, our producer on the Blues Keeps You Alive album is Jan Korsinek, who is a multi-instrumentalist who has worked with many artists all over Europe. And he was playing with the band that we had at that time. He was instructing the band as our new producer about how to play the music and the drummer the bassist looked up at him and now uh hunza is a bassist he'll play the guitar because of that and he also plays the hammond organ and cool yeah exactly and he has worked to back a lot of american blues artists throughout europe on tours and the bassist there was a bit of misunderstanding a bit of frustration on the bassist side and it he just went as someone not raised in my tradition of music said, well, how do we know when we're doing it right? And he just looked up this Czech guy and said, you know, you're doing it right because she'll start to dance. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) 
That's great. Yeah. That's really that's really great. I think it's interesting too that you mentioned that you know some people will try to play the blues because yeah they think it's a similar or a simpler form of music. I don't remember if it was BB King or who said it, but they said blues music is an easy form of music to learn but hard to play well. Jimi Hendrix was it? Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, oh, easy should have known that. Come on, Chad. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Absolutely, because it's in its simplicity where it. The devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. So it's the details that makes great music, good music great. And it's lack of details where, oh, it's not that important. I don't hear a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Where if you gloss over that, it's, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. not bad. It's definitely it's not, not great. But it's not wow. Right. It's not makes your hair on your you know, neck stand up. And so it's just being mindful of that. And it's about being mindful for me. I have been really educated by the wonderful musicians that I play with. For example, just simple things like sing to a metronome. Mm -hmm. Make Mm -hmm. sure that I'm clean in my notes and my tones and my timing. Right. Um, Simple things like being told by my voice teacher you don't just sing the tones, but you sing the tones of the emotions mm-hmm. and that that needs to come out. It's not just the note, but the tone. And so those are just, they're small things to hear, but to do that consistently from beginning to end, it's a meditation. Sure. And so that's what makes it very humbling. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like I've never played golf, but one of those things where if you just change something a small degree, you can see a huge impact. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Miss Yerger tells me that last one all the time to, to feel like to not just play the notes, but to feel what you're playing. Mm-hmm. And it adds a whole new element to it. And it's, you know, less robotic, more, more natural and, and more emotion, emotion filled than just playing the notes on the page. And what's really interesting for me, for example, when I was doing voice exercises, warm-ups, to not only recognize that I should sing the tone of a note, but to recognize that different notes have different tones, which evoke different feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always feel a certain way in my body when it's the key of E. I just do. And so if I want to communicate something that tone resonates with me in a certain way. And it's like, yes, I feel that way. So this song can be in this this key because it gives me the musical color that I need to tell this story that I've written. Right. Mm-hmm. I can tell you as a guitar player, key of E is one of my favorites. Oh, one of my absolute why favorites. Why is it? Somebody said, I, there was a joke about, yeah, one of my music teachers says, yeah, everything's in the key of E. Why is it because of the the, the, the lowest The lowest string is an E. When you hit it open. Okay. So that first position, you have tons of chords. You have all the chords you need right there if you're playing E blues. You have your E, your A, and your B right there, just very, right there. very easily. Right there. So it's so it's nice. But it's it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, that the different tones have different colors. And mm. I think that's a, a big thing too, whether you're a, a vocalist or an instrumentalist, it's maybe a little different for piano. Jared can correct me if I'm wrong. But on I, guitar, I I'm the one to do that. But uh, or you can ask you can ask your piano teacher about this. But at least on guitar, you know, there's so many different places you can play one note, like an E note. And so it's really figuring out where to go for the right, you know, feel and tone. And as as we've also mentioned too, with music, a lot of it is not that 
yes, the technical aspects are important, but if you, I, I used to work at a, at the little recording office when, where we went to undergrad mm -hmm. and I would record these five-year-old children playing these piano pieces. It was like a piano competition and they were technically incredibly proficient, but mm -hmm. it wasn't very musical yet because they were so young and I think children can still feel music, but they haven't had that life experience right, yet right, right. to really, really internalize it and feel it. Mm, um, mm. But I have to say, that's one of my favorite things about listening to you sing, oh. is I can really feel it. Mm -hmm. um, it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. And mm -hmm. you've mentioned you know, being soulful and gospel, and that was one of the first things when I ever heard you sing, I mm -hmm. thought, I wonder if she's into gospel music. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm really honored that my roots and my my roots are showing. Uh, that <laughs> my traditions they they come out in my voice, and so I get invited to perform other genres. But I just always say gospel influence, soul infused, because that's where that's the core that I sing from, and that's once again what I'm going to bring be bring authentically of myself and my journey that on this market may not be easily available. So give the uh, people an opportunity to experience something like that. One of the things is, is Charlie and I were really clear about this. It didn't get recorded unless we both believed it. So to hear someone just sing a note and it's a really pretty sounding note, but it's empty of content in terms of emotion, story, life experience. That was something I've really been careful to stay away from and really centering myself to connect with that place in me that I'm just telling the story as truthfully and honestly as it is. And I actually, for the last gig I did here was for International Women's Day. So um, Aretha Franklin had just passed. So I wanted to honor her by including a song in the show for that night that she had written. Most people don't think of her in terms of blues. So I did my research and there's Today I Sing the Blues. And so it starts with, without a word of warning, the blues walked in this morning and circled around my lonely room. And I was working on this song and I just wanted to get it to the place where I would just breathe and I would just tell it as if I was talking to my best friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's my goal. And one of my voice teachers has always, she's an opera singer. She's always, and you know, it, the voice of our teachers in our head, you know, what a gift that is. Uh, cante come parle, cante come parle, sing as you speak, mm -hmm. sing as you speak. And if I can just sing with all the integrity that I have when I speak, then I've done my job. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And so who are, who are some of your biggest influences in terms of either as a vocalist or a singer, uh, a blues artist, who are some of your kind of go-to inspirations? Right. Go-to inspirations for me when I was a baby singer and I knew nothing about nothing and I had stage fright and I had to be larger than life, I would pull up the image of Tina Turner and oh, nice. that would get me through. And I, what would Tina do? Move over, Brian <laughs> Boitano. What would Tina do? <laughs> so that's what I would do. And then when I was researching for the Blues Keeps You Alive album, what would we put in? And then that's when I fell heavily, heavily under the influence of Coco Taylor, who late, great, last 
reigning queen of the blues from the Chicago blues queen um, blues scene. And then in the midst of doing that CD, my my Jan Korsinek, the producer, he's like, "Oh, you sound like Mavis Staples." And I'm like, well. I went back and I did my research and Watt Stacks, where they performed, was actually released the same year I was born. Oh, so cool. it mm. makes sense that I would have these influences. And I think the staple singers were actually out of Philadelphia. Okay. And so I came Small across world. that in Wikipedia. And then being from Philadelphia, Patti LaBelle is the end all to be all for me. And that's just how you sang. And that's uh-huh. what singing uh-huh. was for me. And because my voice isn't like that, my temperament isn't like that, I was like, oh, I'm not, I guess I'm not a singer. And so what <laughs> I've been really blessed by is, you know, listening and going, oh, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that. So I like a little Janis Joplin. I like uh, Diana Krall. And I like, uh, what is that? Shaw. Uh, I can't remember what her, uh, funk soul singer. And just these things where I can't listen to music while I'm working because I will listen to the vocalist Mm -hmm. and I will be inspired by them and think of what are they doing and how are they doing it and how can I incorporate it into my music. So I'm heavily influenced by anything that my ear likes, Mm. regardless of the genre. There was a time as I was learning how to sing for my diaphragm where I was listening to Jesse Norman, nonstop opera singer. yeah, lots of uh, Leontine Price. I was listening to her. Everybody who just had great style. Okay, all right. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been in uh, in Prague for twenty plus years. About right. how often do you go home? Do you get homesick often? I don't get homesick often, first of all. All right, we won't send this if, to your family then. <laughs> well, I, I can explain it to you because actually, I've had last time I was home it was 2016 and I'm headed there this summer mm-hmm. and I've had my two sisters visit since I have been back to the states they've been here and the last visit was last year and my sister Juanita introduced me to the app Marco Polo do you know Marco Polo I don't know all right no. then this is for everybody it is a video messaging app where you just open it up as if right now I would leave a message. Hey, mom, I'm here in Porto. I'm doing the sound check for this blues festival. I just wanted to share it with you before I go live. I love you and I hope you have a great weekend. Let me know what's going on with you. And so that's how I'm able to share with my family where I am, what I'm doing. My big thing is saying to my grandparents, hey, I'm in Barcelona. Good job in using the app. I'm so proud of you. You did it this time. I'm not looking at the floor. (laughs) I love you and they send me these messages back so I'll see my family two or three times a week depending right. on what's going on. That's fantastic. And we, it, it, we are very fortunate nowadays with technology to have that closeness that, you know, I remember my mom telling me writing people letters and waiting, <laughs> you know, weeks, maybe even months to get a letter. Now you just go on your phone yeah. and you can see them. It's quite amazing. Yeah. 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 And it's also cool that you can now help your family experience other parts of the world that they've probably never seen before and, and expose them to all these cool places that you're going to. Yeah. When, when is it, um, when did you either decide or realize that Prague was your new home, like uh, officially? 
because mm. I think I feel like Chad is having a, a slight crisis on like whether he wants to stay abroad in different places or when yep. he wants to go back home to the U.S. Hold on to your seats because <laughs> right. I started my life abroad in 1994. I did my first year of my Fulbright, and then in '95 I got an offer offer to teach at a university, and so that one year contract for the Fulbright turned into four years: one year Fulbright, three years at the university. And then I just thought, this is a good gig. I have summers off. This university has given me my uh, accommodation. All right, let me work this around the world and then i'll i'll hit europe and then i'll hit africa then i'll do south america and then i'll go home and i'll start a real life sure and then when i came here and i found out the location is gorgeous i can travel anywhere i want to i'm being embraced and i have an opportunity to flourish I thought, oh, you know what? I can have a real life wherever I decide to have a real life. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go back to the States to have a real life. And right. so That's great that, advice. That was September 1998 when I moved here, and I made that decision by November 1998. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a pretty quick quick decision but that's amazing. Yeah. Chad's never coming home. <laughs> do, you want me, do you want me to turn on the light? Sure. Okay. I, yeah. I'll be right back, y'all. <laughs> How's it going, Chad? It's let going me, great. Let me see how it looks. Oh, there yeah, much better. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> you you read my mind. <laughs> you absolutely read my mind. It's Thank getting you. darker and darker. Right. <laughs> oh, hey, hi. <laughs> Uh, oh, she can't hear me. Um, no, yeah, there we go. Go ahead, Jared. Hi. So, um, so you decided long ago that uh, you were gonna, you know, make Prague your home, or at least living internationally, wherever that is, uh, your home. How long did it take before it actually felt like you were home, though? Like where you could go call a place your home and not feel like, well, I'm from here, but right. this is where I'm living now. Right. Even saying to go home by saying meaning Philadelphia felt strange to me uh -huh. because okay. I, I felt like I was sort of, yeah, I was reverting back to what is normally said as compared to what is the actual truth. Uh, Philadelphia is where my family is. This is my home. How long did it take for that to happen? First of all, I had to learn the language so that mm -hmm. I felt confident and mm -hmm. comfortable to be able to navigate in the world. And Czech's and very difficult. I think of it, it, it keeps me young. Okay. It keeps my brain <laughs> neuroplasticity. Oh, so sure. I, yeah. am, I am all about that. And don't even get comfortable for a second and turn your brain off or you will be someplace you don't want to be with something you don't want to have. Right, <laughs> sure. So it keeps me on my toes and I like that. And um, so it took, yeah, probably took four or five years. Okay. for that feeling to happen. And the fact is, is that I moved from university to my parents' house. And then that, because I graduated in January, by July, I got the invite to for the Fulbright. So I had all of six months in the States as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I left before my 21st birthday, so I couldn't even have a drink. Right. right. So <laughs> I, I was born in the States, but I grew up. I became an adult abroad, mm -hmm. and right. so that has really shaped my thinking. And I've been abroad now 25 years. I lived in Philadelphia 18, mm -hmm. so and then four years at Penn State, three and a half years at Penn State. So, 
That's why I feel my life abroad is more home for me sure. than the place where I was a child. And what, what advice would you have to someone? Jared always jokes, I'm never coming back to the States, which maybe yeah. he's right. Who knows? <laughs> but what advice would you have to someone that, you know, moves abroad and really makes that place their home? Mm. Learn the language. That's For sure. the first thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Something, and you learn the language because some things are untranslatable. We do not oh. have an expression for that in <laughs> right. English. I mean, that's why we have our podcast, the yeah. Untranslatable Podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So understanding the language helps you to understand the mentality, which helps you to mm-hmm. understand the culture, which helps you to be more understanding, period. Right. Absolutely. And you can find your place where you're similar, how you're different, so that you can feel so much more a part of things. I mm-hmm. often tell people, for example, I'm asked to talk with students who are doing a semester or a year abroad, and I'll share my experience because some people feel that in in comparison to other places in the world or the United States, Czechs are not on the surface as warm and friendly as people may be accustomed Definitely to. Not. Yeah. <laughs> so how to interpret that and understand that. And when you, not maybe for a semester abroad, because that's not going to happen, but when one decides to put roots down, then make a point to understand what's going on around you. And so, for example, there are so many times I think people are cross or harsh. And then I realize they're complaining about their bunions. And it has nothing to do about me or Mm. anything around me. It's their own internal dialogue. But Mm. I've also found that when I smiled and I said hello in Czech, that their eyes lit up because, oh my goodness, I don't have to speak a foreign Mm -hmm. language in my country. Right. (sighs) Hi, how are you? Oh, thank you so much. I don't have to speak English. I've yeah. I've gotten a lot of that as well. The moment I say Dobri Den, it's like the it's like a shift. Yeah. You know? Um yeah, it's really it's really interesting. So yeah, so learn the language. Um and sorry to put you on the spot, but are there any Czech phrases or things that you find are very hard to translate and are untranslatable? Ooh, untranslatable. Oh, there's so many. Let me think off the top of my head. Now I just drew a blank. So Now there, it is hard when you're put nothing. on the spot. Yeah, it, that's yeah, that's why that's why I apologize because it's tricky once you're on the spot like that. I'll, I'll write you at one in the morning. I know now. Right, right. I got them now. I mean, this isn't really an untranslatable. Oh, okay. But one thing my, what, oh, that's a good Tivolet. one. That's a good one. And you hear that all, all the time. The time. You hear it, that all the you time. You would have to tra- in the usage in the syntax. You would have to translate it as dude. Yep. Because there's nothing yep. else that's used so commonly. Right. But that's not what it is. Not it's at all. <laughs> vul, vul is like an ox or, or a bull. A right? bull, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just, and that's the thing about, that's the reason why I love language, that you have to translate meaning, mm-hmm. Absolutely. not the words, or it just doesn't make sense. Right. Which is what we have a, an entire segment on usually when we don't have guests on, we quiz each other. Yeah. Um, you know, words and phrases in different languages. And a lot of the time, that's the key is you can't always completely follow the words. You have to kind of, you know, guess what the meaning mm-hmm. is. And I, I learned Tivola when I was at a hockey game. Yeah. There was a guy that was just constantly saying it. And, uh, and, and then I asked one of my colleagues at school, you know, what is this? And they couldn't really translate it because <laughs> it's difficult to. But yeah. yeah. And yeah, Modre Zenebe. 
What, yeah. what is that? Yeah, That's a exactly. new one. Yeah, exactly. Modre Zenebe is blue from the sky, but it may, basically means I'll give you the world. Oh, mm. wait. We might have used that one, maybe. Mm. Maybe. Chad, Chad, since he's been in uh, Czech Republic, he's had a, a different, at least one uh, Czech untranslatable every mm-hmm. episode for the past, mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. what, seven mm-hmm. months? Yeah, and I so just can't remember them all. Yeah, That's it's very problem. likely that. <laughs> because I don't use them. You know, if I was course, using them yeah, in why? speech, I would be using yeah. them. But yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And plus, your pronunciation is much, much more clear and much quicker than mine is. Yeah, so it's I, that I, musician's ear. <laughs> oh, for sure. I stumble over a lot of Czech words just because no there's. Words. Yeah. There's and they're, now words. they're all coming to me in Spinkato Hruzhove. So, yeah. What, what is that one? It's, it's technically sleep until you're rosy okay but we would just say to like, get enough sleep you know, get some beauty sleep beauty sleep uh-huh. fully rested okay. yeah full to be fully rested okay interesting exactly. there you go well, see you had some really good ones yeah. that was fantastic <laughs> very good well jared do you think we should talk about our song of the pod today yeah for sure for sure uh you chose this one but uh, I agree 100% on this. It's, I mean, this is the, perfectly fits the theme of our podcast, and uh, it's great. Go, you can talk about it if you want. Well, can it's, you give the listeners the title? Yeah, it's called uh, Ain't No Color But The Blues. I guessed that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I guessed that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. It, it's, it's what we've kind of just were talking about, how um, we, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, but we all, we all, maybe understand things differently but we all uh it's all we all have the same feelings and you know mm-hmm. when when you're broke or when someone leaves you we all feel the same despair or fear or heartbreak and um it's great one thing that i loved about most of your or all of your music that i listened to is that it sounds very cathartic to write and perform like i was listening to it and i was like oh man like it's just it sounds very therapeutic and i can imagine <laughs> especially watching you perform you know you could see the emotion that uh, it's it's a like a therapy therapy session up there almost. Absolutely, and so what happens in my head? I have all of these thoughts and these feelings, and they're this chaotic jumble. But then I get them down these clippets of thoughts and ideas, and then I decide what is the recurring theme, and then that's the chorus, and then why is that the recurring theme? Because this happened, and this happened, and then finally this happened, or this is what I would like to happen. And so that chaotic, that chaotic jumble becomes a harmonized whole. And mm-hmm. then it's a great feeling of relief that I understand my thoughts and I've put them in order. And now I can share those thoughts with the world. And when they, those thoughts, those very personal thoughts that troubled me or confused me suddenly help someone else make mm-hmm. peace or make sense of their own experience, then that's what I think the power of music is to connect us all through our own human journey. Yeah. Yeah, and this this song is a perfect example of that where, you know, the the blues can connect everyone and it doesn't matter where where, where you're from, but we all we all get it and we've all been through these same experiences. Uh, Absolutely. What do you think about and it, Chad? You chose it. Well, well, obviously, and then I'll I, tell you the best story after you share why you chose it. Sounds good. It. So, well, obviously, it was an easy pick just because we try to really um, adhere to a very international audience here. We found out we have listeners now in 18 different countries. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping to get that up to maybe in the 20s very soon. And so um, for me, I just think it's really touching that there are a lot of people who say, well, oh, well, this type of music, you can't you can't do this if you're if you're black, if you're white, if you're Czech, if you're American, you know, um, 
And you hear that a lot with many different styles of music. Mm-hmm. I remember when Darius Rucker was doing a lot of country stuff. People right. were like, you know, what what is this African American man doing country music for? You know, which which is horrible because music is not there. We didn't create music because of ethnicity or skin color. We created it to, you know, like you mentioned, you know, really bring these human experiences to life and and have other people relate to them and hopefully feel better for them. Like, right. The the beauty of blues music. I've told a lot of Czech people when they ask me, oh, you play guitar. What do you like to play? And I tell them blues, and they go. If they aren't familiar with it, they go, oh, that's such sad music. Why do you enjoy it? And I tell them, well, first of all, blues is not all sad music. It's not all just a slow, you know, one, four, five in a minor key. It can be very happy. And even when it is sad, playing that sad music makes you feel happier at the end of the day. And the the second reason why I picked it, though, was uh, Steve Walsh was playing guitar on it. And so, so I saw him playing, I watched the video and I was like, Oh, there's, there's my man, Steve. So I had to, and his style of playing is so unique and it just gelled really well with your voice and the rhythm section and Charlie playing the harmonica. It was just a pleasure to listen to. So, Mm -hmm. so that was why I picked it. Uh, And why I wrote it. it. Something often troubles me very deeply and to make sense of it, I write it down. So what troubled me in that situation was I had just, through a combination of, it, of events, for example, someone, I shall not mention her name, told my <laughs> producer at the time, Jan Kozinek, well, you shouldn't even play this particular song because it's black people's music. You don't know how to play it. Oh, jeez. Like, mm, okay. And then afterwards, a couple of weeks later, I was reading in a magazine how someone not African-American, not even American, was saying that people should not play blues music because they're not from this background. And this is someone who's not even American. Like, How do you even get the goal and the audacity to say something which would automatically exclude you? Right. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm not from the Delta. I'm from Philadelphia, so I guess that means that leaves me out too. And then I get so, this is one of the things I'm, if I'm really passionate about, it'll be in the song because I just get so, the energy that gets created has to be released. So it makes me so angry because this sword cuts both ways. First of all, people who are asking about Darius Rucker, do you know the name Charlie Pride? Right, right. Do you know the name Ray Charles? Right. So people who say these things have limited amount of understanding and knowledge. So just educating and helping people understand that there's something besides their perspective. The next thing is, is that if we're going to go down that road, that this music belongs to this, these people, then that means Jesse Norman and Leotine Price shouldn't have sung Italian opera. Well, Jesse Norman does uh, German. Okay. So, you know, that opera is only originally for the Greeks because that's what it came from. Okay. And the Italians and the Russians and the French and the Germans and the Czechs should have never touched it because that's their national heritage and it shouldn't be done. And also, as for the sport of French kings, the Williams sisters should have left it alone. Right, for mm-hmm. tennis. Yeah. So that cuts both ways if we're going to say that's ours and you can't have it. So that's the reason why I get so upset. And the next thing is being a member of the European Blues Union, 
I just was so happy to be a part of that where I started thinking about the different nationalities that are a part of the European Blues Union. That's the reason why there are all those nationalities. And then there was the personal connection. That's the reason why I mentioned the languages Korean, uh, uh, Korean, Japanese, Irish, or Czech, Pole. Spanish, or Greek. I remember exactly. that Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I start out with. So uh-huh. I first started yeah. with the member states, and then I start with my own language, Korean, Italian, French, mm-hmm. English. So that's how I got worked in there. I studied right. Russian as well. So that's how those references got made. Now, now can I ask, though, too, because I, you know, as a, as a lover of music, and, you know, I listen to so many different genres, where where do you, we draw the line though between you know experiencing and sharing music but then also there's a lot of talk always about cultural appropriation yeah, right yeah. like we talked about a long time ago how uh, Bruno Mars was mm-hmm. being kind of touted as oh well he's doing all this cultural appropriation because he's doing a lot of like funk music and, and this is traditionally African American and he's like Filipino American but you know wh- when how do we draw that line because it's I always find it difficult. We don't. Okay. <laughs> we don't. Music is meant to bring people together, to, for people to harmonize and be in harmony, not in discord. And mm-hmm. so people who aren't musicians will do that. Yes, I have a different sense of feeling and rhythm than other people who are not accustomed to my um, my tradition from which I come. Sure. But that means I also don't have a sense or a feeling for other things. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that it's a part of the world's heritage. And this is the cultural heritage of the world. It belongs, it originated in a different geography, in a different time with a different group of people. But to not share it with the world means that it will die out. Sure. Mm-hmm. So would you rather it die out and be forgotten in the dust? Or would you like to open it up to other people? I think the issue with cultural appropriation from what I've seen from my side of the pond, looking in as an outsider, is the feeling of how is it that if I do it in my race, it is denigrated and it's looked down upon and it is a shame and it said everything that's negative. But if someone outside of the culture from which it came does it, then they're a trailblazer, they're innovative, they're right. fusion. Right. That is my understanding of the negativity of cultural uh, appropriation. The place where it started is bad, but anyone who takes it on who's a part of an accepted group, then they're a good person for doing it. That is where I understand that it crosses a line and it's sure. wrong. So mm-hmm. my answer to that is accept everybody as human beings mm-hmm. where we're all equal and good. So it doesn't matter who does what. Right. And don't expect that because something happened that people owe you. And as a result, anything you do is good and everything that somebody else does is bad. Right. Right, that makes so sense. So that's my perspective on that from my outside perspective. Okay. Because this is a term that has only popped up very recently with this cultural appropriation thing. Oh, it's, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and I always wonder like who's who's the arbiter of this? Who's who's making these right. decisions? Because no one no one's ever going to agree on on these black and white statements that people make on this is ours or you can't do this. Where it's like I, yeah, but other people that are within your same group love it or or really do appreciate it. So it's like who who's the one making these decisions? I I, I never understand that. And also remembering that before the African slaves made their way to America, they stopped off in Spain. So that has influenced their music. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel a very deep resonance with things like Fado music because it really has those origins that come from African influence in them and the impact of the griot. So to say that only this is appropriate and it's very deep seated and I think we're taking very, it's often become very superficial. And mm-hmm. so that's my take on that. I think another thing too, absolutely, is also giving credit where credit's due. You know, when when people were accusing Bruno Mars of all this stuff, he has never claimed, oh, well, this is my, you know, he says, these have been my influences. I love them. You know, and it's the same with like Eminem, where a lot of, he always said, you know, these were the artists that I was inspired by and I listened to. And so I think when you also share and give props to whoever, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of paved the way for you as an artist or musician or whatever. Um, I think that also comes from a much more genuine place than if I were to just put out some hip hop record and then just say, oh, yeah, no, this was all my my stuff, my inspiration, you know, because we all are, you know, so influenced by different people, different artists and things like that. And I think it's important to to share that. And B.B. King himself said that artists good. Some bad artists copy good artists steal or something, some right. something very, like that. Something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so there are only so many courts. Right. <laughs> there are only so many notes. <laughs> there are only so many variations. Right. And you can't copyright a chord progression, I don't think, can you? You can copyright a melody, yeah, but, but you can't copyright a chord progression. Because yeah. it'd be impossible. We wouldn't have any more music to yeah. play. Yeah. And that's that whole uh, blurred lines situation that we had going on with non-musicians saying what can be copyrighted and what couldn't be. Mm. So not really understanding how music is created and how it works. People who right. are non-musicians looking to maintain their um, profit from something that they did not create nor understand. Right. So... <laughs> Absolutely. Well, very well put. Um, I have a few more questions for you. And one of them is one that I always love to ask anybody who um, is a performer or musician. If you could perform with anybody living or dead, who would you pick? I know that's a big question. But I, I made point to make sure to ask you this before we wrap up this episode. Absolutely. Well, the first off the top of my head, I can't even think of anybody until I say it, Tina Turner, because she's okay. been such an influence for sure. me. Anybody else? Freddie Mercury. Wow. Oh, that would be Janis oh, yeah. Joplin. That uh-huh. would be awesome. Who else? Coco Taylor. I would definitely like to perform with her. Anybody else? Mozart Kinderet. No, that style is too out of my range. <laughs> so, yeah. B.B. King. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. B.B. Lena. Oh, my goodness. I just, the ultimate band where I have B.B. King and there would also be uh, Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington. Oh, wow. Woo. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that would be the jam session. Okay, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Chad, who Duke are some Ellington of yours? Lead. Some of mine? Yeah. Oh, man. That's, oh, geez. Of course, if you're going to put you on, on the spot. You're on the right. spot now. <laughs> that's true. Um, well, I guess for bass, I would pick probably a guy named Pino Palladino. He's uh was a bass player for the John Mayer trio and he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um so probably Pino Palladino, drums or maybe Jack Bruce from Cream. Mm-hmm. I grew up being a huge Cream fan. Probably also either on drums John Bonham. John Bonham from Led Zeppelin oh, or exactly. John Bonham maybe Keith Moon from The Who okay. would be fantastic. Um or who's the other one I was thinking of? I had three drummers. Uh, Ginger Baker from Cream as well. Okay. I mean all were fantastic um drummers. If I could have a horn section as well, I would love to have a horn section with maybe um, Stan Getz, 
or um, Coltrane, of course, is mm-hmm. fantastic. Miles Davis. I mean, there's so many of them. And mm. I would love to play... I mean, Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan ah. were my two. That was why I started guitar. But the thing is... I would love to be on stage with them, but I would just want to sit and watch them play. So I don't think I would play anything. So so maybe that would be a bad choice to have them on there. Um, but I mean, yeah, those were my two you know, biggest inspirations was when I was sitting in the car and I was 10 years old, my dad put on Texas Flood by Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he, you know, it was the opening track, Texas Flood. And I was 10 years old and I was just floored by this. I mean, the emotion and the vibrato, I could not believe it. And then of course, with anything, if you get interested in music or, or sports or whatever, you know, you start at one point and usually you work your way back in history, yeah. right? So it went from Steve Ray Vaughan to Jimi Hendrix to Buddy Guy to B.B. King, Albert King, Freddie mm-hmm, King. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Three Kings on our blues episode, which is mm-hmm, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then way, way back to Robert Johnson. I mean, mm-hmm. for guitar, that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, so so that would be mine. What about you, Jared, as a, as a budding that? pianist? Mm-hmm. I gotta give know. it back I, to you now. I feel, I feel like I'm not I'm not educated enough to even answer that question. I mean, I'd be your guitar player, right? <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> so you Chris, got one. The Chris, the guy who played bass on our theme song, would be the bass player. There we go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I just feel like I'm not I'm nowhere close to educated enough to answer that question. I think you. Oh, what about Questlove, the drummer from the Roots? Oh, that'd be cool. I I he was one of the. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the first uh, rap groups that I really started listening to because my sister mm-hmm. is a huge Roots fan, also from mm-hmm. Philadelphia, actually. Yes. So. But yeah, there we go. There's mine. <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, all right. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Uh, oh, uh, first, do you want to? Um, we I want to plug some of your stuff. Your website, JoannaJenkins.com. Your mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook, Joanna Jenkins. And as you mentioned earlier, you'll be performing. Um, on the 17th, this comes out on the 13th, so on Friday, you'll be performing in Porto. Have you been to Portugal before? I just went for maybe the second time for the European Blues Union, and mm. that was a great opportunity. I went there, and that's when I met in the flesh the person who actually invited me, and then met another festival who said, you have to come and perform at ours. So I will be going to Portugal, not only the 17th of May, but hopefully... Soon I'll be going other times for other festivals. Oh, great, great. Yeah. Absolutely. And to find our Song of the Pod uh, that we have featured, check out our Twitter page, Untranslatable1, and we will have that up when the episode drops. Um, And we'll also have some links to your website and things so our listeners can check it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely fantastic. We want to thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us. It's been an absolute delight um, to talk music with you and hear about your experience and, and everything. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to like to say before we wrap up the episode? Absolutely. I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing, that our little conversation from meeting in the pub and connecting is now being shared with other people so that the synergy of what we have can be shared and other people can benefit by mm-hmm. learning about the blues and discovering who they like and seeing the blues in a totally different way because you have made what was untranslatable and the blues something that is now understandable through your pro- your podcast. So thank you. Oh, wow. thank you. That was very well said. That's a we, lot better than all of my closings <laughs> since, we, since we've been doing 91 episodes. So very eloquently put, thank you very much. We usually end most of our episodes with something we call a quote-unquote quote of the pod and chattels wrap up the episode. That was mm-hmm. one of the best quotes of the pod we've had. Most definitely. So thank <laughs> you so great. much for being on, Joanna. We appreciate it. For all of our mm-hmm. listeners out there, 
check out Joanna Jenkins on various social media. She's also on Spotify, which is where mm-hmm. I've been listening to a lot of uh, your fantastic music. So it's absolutely great. Uh, Spotify, Joanna Jenkins, also on YouTube. Instagram, as Jared mentioned. iTunes. Of course, iTunes as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we really appreciate everyone's support on this podcast, 18 countries and growing. We cannot thank you all enough. It's absolutely amazing. And let us know if there are any guests or topics you want to hear from at untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. Slide into Jared's DMs on Twitter, untranslatable1. Let us know what you think about our song of the pod, or if you have any future uh, songs of the pod recommendations. And lastly, make sure five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Spread a little love. We really, really appreciate it, and we're looking forward to bringing you some exciting new content in the near future. So have a wonderful day, night, evening, or morning, whatever time you're listening to this. And as we say here at the Untranslatable Podcast, Yacuyame and muchas gracias. Nascle. Nice